How important is Jesus Christ? That's something I want us to consider today. How important is Jesus Christ? We are surrounded by a community that does not think he is that important. A recent uh, survey said that 40% of people uh, believe he never existed, which is basic ignorance of historical facts. And with multiculturalism, we are surrounded with uh, different voices, neighbors, colleagues who have uh, different uh, religious uh, backgrounds, different spiritualities, different philosophies to us. Uh, there are so many worldviews out there that attempt to explain reality without any connection to Jesus Christ. We don't live at a time where it's the end of religion. Rather, the internet is full of spirituality and religion. I was just searching this last week and I couldn't believe the number of new age gurus out there who are doing good business, explaining the secret of life, claiming access to spiritual beings and even angelic guides who promise guidance, power, peace in a time of, uh, of a chaotic world. For many in Scotland, uh, life is all about materialism and pleasure. It's just about comfort and entertainment. And surrounded by a world like that, that presses in on us as Christians, I think we at times uh, can be shaken about our confidence and certainty that Jesus Christ is important. Because so many around us don't think he is important. We, we can be seductively tempted to the promises that others make, that maybe there's something in their worldview, there's something in their philosophy, that they're offering something that, uh, that promises a bit more. Are we missing out? Can others offer us the, the secret to a more fulfilling life, to a, to a fuller life? Uh, it seems to me that social media is constantly promising this. As we look on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and, and, and see that everybody else is having a better life than me right now. That, that, that's the myth that's being spread by social media. I read an article this week about a woman who makes money doing selfies. I don't know how she does that. I don't know how you get a job like that. But somehow she's managed to convince people to give her money posting selfies. And she's always, always portraying her glamorous an exciting life through Instagram and things like that. But it turns out, of course, it's a complete fake. So, for example, she dressed up in a Halloween costume as if to go out to a really cool party with the hip people. She took the selfie, but the truth was that she stayed at home drinking herself to sleep all alone. But the message of social media holds out the promise that there's a fuller life out there. There's, there there's, there's something more at the end of the rainbow that you can chase and go after. And none of that seems to relate to Jesus Christ. So how important is Jesus Christ in the 21st century? Many uh, would rightly concede that he existed. But then think something like this, that he was merely a good man who said some profound things. And some over-enthusiastic followers have basically, over hundreds of years, made the stories just a little bit bigger and bigger and bigger until, you know, they came to a point where they thought he was God. 
And so I want us to consider today what the Bible has to say about Jesus. And as we continue in our series looking at the book of Colossians. So please open your Bibles to page 1182. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of these red books, these red Bibles. Turn to page 1182 and you'll find yourself in the book of Colossians. And as I read uh, these verses, verses 15 to 20, I want you to bear in mind that this was written by the Apostle Paul around A.D. 60. He, uh, well, let's start from verse 13. Let's go to context. Verse 13. For he, and that means, means God in context, for God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, meaning the Son whom he loves, he, the Son, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. And the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." This is God's word. Do you see that this Chinese whispers view of an overinflated Jesus who grew bigger and bigger and bigger over hundreds of years of embellished storytelling, do you see how that just doesn't fit the facts? It turns out that the earliest views of Jesus are the highest views. Or if you want to put that in more theological terms, the highest Christology is seen in the earliest writings. Jesus was crucified in A.D. 33, and this was written in A.D. 60. Some think that Paul actually has even made use of an earlier hymn. It's hard to see in the English, but in the Greek, it's quite clearly in a poetic form. And, and, and some think that Paul took an earlier hymn. And if that's the case, then this is the common view of, of Christians with only 20 to 30 years after the life of Jesus, which is extraordinary. After he walked upon Israel, this is what was being sung about Jesus. This is what was being said about Jesus and being believed by, about Jesus uh, in the early church. But only 20 to 30 years. Just think about what happened 30 years ago from today. Do you, know, do you remember what happened 30 years? 1985? Remember anything about 1985? Well, here's a couple of things. Neil Kinnock made a very significant speech at the Labour Party conference attacking the entryist militant groups in Liverpool. Uh, arguably a political leader who helped shape the Labour Party right up to just before Jeremy Corbyn. 
and this all going back, it seems. But, you know, that was 30 years ago. But, you know, is anyone thinking that uh, Neil is the political messiah? No, they're not. 1985, Live Aid concerts in London and Philadelphia raised over 50 million for famine relief in Ethiopia. Bob Geldof, nice bloke, good fundraiser, humanitarian. Nobody thinks he's God. And yet, look at what is being said of Jesus within 20 to 30 years of his life. What could explain that? Look at what Paul says about Jesus here. These, these poetic verses hold the view of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. The preeminence of Jesus Christ. What's the word preeminent mean? It means surpassing all others. At its root, it has two ideas. Uh, it, it speaks of um, one who comes before and one who towers above. And there couldn't be any better description of Jesus. He is preeminent. And he's spoken of as being preeminent in at least four ways in these verses. Firstly, he's preeminent as he is the unique revealer of God. Verse 15, he, the Son, is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible to our eyes because essentially he's spirit. But it was clear to the disciples of Jesus who lived and walked with him for three years as they looked over their time with him, looking back through the resurrection and the cross, it was clear to him that Jesus made visible the invisible God. If you look down at verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God the Son was fully divine. But the point is here the, the amazing thing that God was pleased and chose to pour all of his deity into this man who was born through the Virgin Mary that we're going to sing about in a few weeks. In, in chapter 2, verse 19, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. We're hampered a little bit here because for us, image uh, implies something that looks like but is quite different to and inferior to the original. But actually, in Greek thought, that's not the sense. The word icon, image, pointed to a real counterpart to the original. The image participated in the substance of the thing it imagined, it imaged. It was not an imitation of reality, but shared the reality of that thing. And so when the Son is called the image of God, all the emphasis is on the equality of the image with the original. The Son shares the same essence of being as God. The Son shares the same character and wisdom and power of, of God. In his essential being and deity, uh, this man Jesus is the very identity of God. And I just think this is so wonderful because uh, sometimes you, you get these TV shows where people talk about this, this, this very long agonizing search of discovering who God is, this great mystery, this unknowability of God. And the, and the point is this, God is not mysteriously absent. He's not hard to find. He's not unknown or unknowable, not at all. In Jesus Christ, the invisible God is uniquely revealed. Do you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Read the gospel accounts. Look at his life. 
Look at his words, look at his actions, and uh, what you will see is that you are looking at God who was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him in bodily form. What we're going to be singing about at Christmas time is not that Jesus was 50 man, 50 God, but 100% man, 100% God. And so when it says all his fullness, um, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, it implies that we need look nowhere else to discover the truth about God. Is Jesus Christ therefore still important? Well, he's, he's only the unique revealer of God. Of course he is. Now, I'm up for respectful dialogue with, with other religious leaders and philosophy uh, positions so that we can understand what they believe. And we should respect all who are made in the image of God. But Jesus Christ alone is the image of God. That's what's being claimed here. And while I may learn lots of useful things, I will not learn anything extra about God that I could not already know through looking at Jesus Christ. There is no need to go anywhere else to know the truth about God. That's what's being said here. He is preeminent as the unique revealer of God. Secondly, he's preeminent as the ruler over creation. Second half of verse 15. For he is the firstborn over all creation. Now, have you ever had a visit from the Jehovah's Witnesses at your front door? Um, they, uh, they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. And you will know that they love to seize on this word firstborn, if ever got into dialogue with them. And, and they see this word as suggesting that Jesus was the first created thing in the universe, and then he created everything else. But in the context of this passage, it just doesn't fit as an explanation. And we'll look at that in a moment. But in the context of the whole Bible, it's clear that uh, that would also be a misuse of the word firstborn. Listen to how the Old Testament uses the term in Psalm 89, verse 27, it says this. Psalm 89, verse 27. God speaks of King David. And I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. Notice all the emphasis is on the first bit and not the born bit. Firstborn is a term of status, of position, of rank. And here Paul is, is taking up that phrase in the sense and saying of Jesus Christ, well, he's the firstborn over all creation. That is, he outranks all things in creation. And to our Jehovah Witness friends, we can simply point out that it says he's the firstborn over all creation, not out of all creation. And verses 16 and 17 then spell out why he outranks all of creation. Verse 16 for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So Jesus Christ is preeminent because, firstly, by him all things were created. And to show the extent of what the all things cover, you get this list, things in heaven... So I guess that fits sun, moon, stars, planets, galaxies, things on earth, everything that's in the air, land and sea, animate and inanimate, visible and invisible, 
There are many things invisible to our eyes that are there and real, including bacteria, viruses, as well as spiritual beings such as angels. There are all sorts of authorities and powers in our society and in the supernatural world. We, we talk, interesting in our culture, of the power of the media or of the establishment. Uh, there are some people out there who fear that there are an elite group or people who twist events and make markets run society and initiate wars for their own ends. Some secret organization somewhere that meet, probably in Switzerland, and uh, sort things out. I mean, they're, they're, you know, you've read all that stuff, haven't you? People fear these authorities and powers that have control over us. And in many cultures, uh, there is a real fear of spiritual forces and powers that can be turned malevolently against them, over which you have no control. Uh, a friend of uh, this church, a member of this church, who is li now living in a Muslim country, where uh, he was emailing me this week and telling me that uh, a lot of his neighbors fear these spiritual forces called jinn. They don't go to the mosque to deal with these unwelcome spirits. They go to witch doctors instead. And one of his friends in that country told him of a jealous brother who in successfully enlisted a jinn to destroy his, his restaurant business. And he recalled the fear of such power was, and, and how he was totally unable to counter it. Prospective diners apparently would drive up to the open-sided shop and not see anyone in it. And so they left thinking the restaurant was closed. And it didn't last for very long after that. And furthermore, the gin caused sickness in his wife, according to his friend, who was the chef. And so he had to close the business and left town to start afresh. Another neighbor told him that he sees uh, these gin going in and out of his, of his house and wonders what's, whether he's experiencing any problems. And there are lots of stories like that of people fearing these spiritual powers and authorities, visiting witch doctors who for the right amount of money can sort all these issues out. Now we don't know exactly what was, what, what was happening in Colossae at the time, but Paul wants them to know that there is no higher power, no higher authority than Jesus Christ. He's not merely sort of down there in the mid-management mid of position. By him all things were created. He outclasses, he's preeminent, he's superior. He has more authority and power than, than any other power or authority, whether that's human or spiritual, that might hold them in fear. You see, if we have a low view of Jesus, then we will live in fear of authorities Rulers, powers, both seen and unseen. But when we have a proper view of the supremacy of Jesus Christ, then we will be freed from anxieties and superstitious fears. He's preeminent over all things, which were not only created by him, the text says, but were created for him. I don't know whether you've come here today and you're wondering what is life about. What is the secret of life? What is its purpose? What is its meaning? Why are we here? Well, do you know what? You will never know the answer if you have a low view of Jesus. Because the secret of life is this. You want to know the secret of life? Here it is. I'll tell you. Everything in creation exists for Jesus. Everything. Life is, is not here to revolve around you. We are here to live for him. God created all things through His Son, for His Son. 
That's what these verses of the Bible tell us. And so to the question, how important is Jesus Christ? Well, here's the stunning answer. Well, he only made everything. And not everything exists for him. And he holds all of existence together. That, that's, is he relevant? You can't get more relevant than that, is it? You, you make it everything, it exists for you, and you hold it all together. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I had a physiology textbook when I was studying as a dentist, and I, I didn't know where the man was at who wrote the book, but wonderfully, he had that text in the front of his book, so I guess he must have had some Christian convictions. In him all things hold together. You know, we're spending vast sums of money right now, uh, well, we have done, building the Hydron Collider uh, and to smash together atoms uh, to be able to understand what are the subatomic particles that make stuff stuff. Have you ever thought that? What, what makes this stuff? What, what, is, what is this? And uh, what's fascinating is that the area of theoretical science has gone well ahead of what we can actually observe physically. And so we've, we've built this kit to see whether Mr. Higgs of Edinburgh is right. And there is such a thing as a Higgs boson, whatever that is. There are so many mysteries that we have not yet unraveled. Pretty basic things like what is energy? We have no idea really what, what is energy. What is mass? What causes gravity? What holds things together? Because stuff is made of atoms. But when you look closer at atoms, they're like little mini solar systems of electrons with lots of space flying around a nucleus. And then you try and look into a nucleus and look into protons. And when you look into protons, apparently there's, there's just lots of space. Hardly anything at all. Apparently three quarks, whatever that is. And, and some stuff that holds it all together, which they've called gluons. You've got to love scientists. They can come up with a... It's, there's something holding it together. That's, what should we call it? Let's call it gluon. Sounds like glue. Well, it's completely over my head. Uh, completely over my head. But you know what? The Bible has given the most fundamental answer for, uh, and it gave it a long time ago about what holds everything together. Jesus Christ. In him, all things hold together, it says. That's how important Jesus Christ is. Without him, electrons would, would not continue to circle nuclei. Gravity would cease to work. The planets would not stay in their orbits. Is Jesus Christ important today? Yes, he is that important. He's holding everything together. Now, when you understand this about Jesus Christ, then you will know that it makes no sense to pursue any other religious options. Things only make sense when Christ is kept at the center of our lives, for he's at the very center of existence. Scientists have marveled at how we live in such a, an ordered, consistent universe that theoretical mathematics can be seen to be true in the created order. And the, and the answer of why this is so is so much more wonderful than, than there's certain regulative principles applying in the universe. It's more wonderful than that. There's actually a person at the center of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not an uncaring universe. It is possible to know the creator who put order into the cosmos. It's possible to trust him, to enter into a relationship with him. For he has entered into human history 
by becoming this man, Jesus Christ. He did it so you could know him. But it's more here, isn't it? He's not only preeminent as a unique revealer, as ruler over creation, but also he's preeminent as ruler over the church. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Paul, uh, who wrote this letter, originally called Saul, had the original Damascus Road conversion. You know that, don't you? He started his trip as someone who had rejected Jesus as the Christ, and he was persecuting Christians. He was a terrorist driven by his religious convictions. He was approving the murder of Christians, and he was terrorizing communities. But then he had an encounter with the risen, glorified Jesus Christ from heaven as he traveled on the road to Syria. I was struck by that. He was heading to Syria. We're fearful, aren't we, of, of, of what radical Muslims from Syria might do to us. We've already begun to see what they can do. And it is so encouraging to remember that a violent persecutor became a preacher of love and peace when he came face to face with the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And the question that Jesus asked him profoundly shaped his view of the church. This is what Jesus asked him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who'd he been attacking? Who'd he been persecuting? Christians. But the Lord said, why do you persecute me? What he learned there is what you see developed in his writings, that there is an organic link between Jesus and those who have put their faith and trust in him and become his disciples. There is a body where Christ is the head. And the church made up of disciples who trust him are the body. So as to hurt the body is to hurt the head. He is the head of the church, which is his body, it says here. And his resurrection from the dead is, marks another first. He, he, he is the first risen from the dead. In Bible thought, the resurrection of the dead was the final day of judgment. And he is, he is the first out. And that marks him the head of the brand new creation. If earlier we've thought that he's preeminent because he is the ruler over creation, we learn here he's ruler over the new creation. It is Jesus Christ who directs and sustains his body, the church. Now, we don't really have time to get into that, but, but Christian churches exist today because we have an ever-living head, Jesus Christ. I'm not the head of this church. The elders aren't. The Archbishop of Canterbury isn't. The Queen isn't. The Pope isn't. Jesus Christ is the head of the church and of this church. And the truth is this, if, we lose, if the church loses connection with the head, we cease to be a Christian church. Which makes Jesus preeminent over all things. So in everything, he might have the supremacy. And finally, he is preeminent as the reconciler of all creation. In verses 19 to 20. Verse 19, for, in, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 20 is one of those concise statements of the gospel in a few words in a nutshell. Just think about what it presupposes. Presupposes that Jesus Christ was already Lord over the creation, which of course is true because he he made it. If I buy some wood and build a shed, guess what? It's my shed. And I can do whatever I want with my shed because I created it and I own it. Well, this is true of all of creation. He is Lord over it. But it also alerts us to this fact that there's been a great disruption in the created world. This world as it is now is not the way he made it to be. It is a disrupted world, a world that needs reconciliation through him to reconcile to himself, it says. Now we speak of separated couples as being reconciled when they come together again. We speak of opposing sides in a dispute be being reconciled or the arbitration of a third party achieving an agreement and reconciliation in industrial relations. And reconciliation means the healing of broken relationships, the restoring of a relationship which has been lost or, or renounced or forfeited. And the Bible speaks of this great divorce that's happened between God, the creator, and his creation. And he speaks of, of the great reconciliation that Jesus has achieved by his death upon the cross. This divorce was not just on our side. Actually, God needs to be reconciled to us as well because he is holy and, and God, God is truly angry. He's infinitely appalled at our sin and our rebellion. And it's brought a curse on the creation which God had originally blessed. So the Bible says we're not only lost, but we're condemned by our rebellion. So the horror of the events in Paris on Friday night are just part of a long history of rebellion and sin and war and exploitation, pride and selfishness that we see in this world. And the Bible holds up a mirror to us and says we are all complicit in that. Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote this, If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? We might not have killed, but we do corrupt, spoil, and manipulate. We might not make sinister threats, but we're self-centered. And the Bible says we need to be reconciled to God. And what Jesus achieved uh, on the cross in his sin-bearing death was to create a way back into the presence of God. For those who have been banished from his presence, Jesus made a way of peace by shedding his blood on the cross. And the death of, of Christ opened up a new future for this damaged creation. His once-for-all atonement reaches out to the entire universe. And it's on that basis alone that God will actually bring in a future when he establishes the new heavens and the new earth. When it says he's going to reconcile all things to himself, that does not mean that actually everybody's going to get saved and everything's going to be fine. It's saying actually God's going to put everything back the way it should be. 
History is heading to a place where all that is evil and all that is an abomination, as, as the president of France described uh, uh, the events of Friday night, all that is evil and an abomination will be banished. It will be put in its right place. It will be put away from the new heavens and the new earth. And what is stunning is that the apparent weakness of the blood of Jesus flowing out of his dying body on that wooden cross of execution marked the triumph of God over all evil powers and authorities. And the resurrection of Jesus, the firstborn from among the dead, marks that there is a judgment day when the unrepentant will be punished and banished forever. And the world will be reconciled and at peace with God. Will you be part of that new heavens and new earth as someone who has been forgiven because you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? That's what Maeve and Rebecca have done and that's what they're saying in their baptism today. Or will you be banished as someone who rejected Jesus and considered him of no importance? Can you see what an affront to God it would be to stand before him on that day of judgment and, 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 and your whole evidence of your life would say that you treated Jesus as if he was nothing? The one who's preeminent over all things, the unique revealer of God, the one who is the, the ruler over creation, the one who is the ruler over the church, the one who is the only reconciler of, a, of this broken creation. And to discount him as nothing do not be like that. Today is a day of opportunity where you can change. Seek his forgiveness for your sins by trusting him. Confess your sins to him. Ask his forgiveness. And you can be reconciled to God on the basis of the blood shed on the cross. You could do that today. Why would you leave this building and not be right with God when it's all been done for you? Simply come to him. Trust him. Why will you not do that today? You'll only do that because you think he's of no importance. Oh, the horror of walking out like that. Do not do that today. Trust him. Trust him today. Be reconciled to God. And my Christian friends, as we hear the, the subtle lies and deception of the world that says that there's, there's something more that we can have apart from Christ, there, there's more that can be offered, you're missing out. Well, come back to this. Do you realize the preeminence of Christ? How can there be anything more than this? He made everything. It's all for him and he holds it all together. There's much more you can know about him. But you need go, you don't need to sort of say, well, I have Christianity, I'm going to add other bits. Nonsense, rubbish. All the fullness of God has been poured into him. There's, there's nothing to find anywhere else. Don't lose your confidence. Be encouraged. Be deeply rooted in this preeminent person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.